Today we're concluding our message series called Biblical Parenting. If you missed any of the messages, you can watch them online at our website, lifechurchstlouis.org, and they have the message notes there as well. Today we're going to be talking about building a spiritual legacy. And what is a legacy? A legacy is something handed down from the past. And so a spiritual legacy is faith being handed down from one generation to the next, from parents to children. You can take out the white page in the middle of your bulletin. It has the scriptures written out there, as well as the outline. I encourage you to take a look. You can follow it along as well as on the screen. On the back are study questions that many of the life groups use uh, in their discussions. You can also use those in your own private or personal Bible study during the week. First, uh, 2 Timothy 1.5 says, and Paul's writing this, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. He's writing this to Timothy. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And so here we see a spiritual legacy being handed down for three generations. Faith in Jesus Christ began with Timothy's grandmother, Lois. It continued with his mother, Eunice, and now was dwelling in Timothy. It's interesting because only mothers are listed here by by Paul. Uh, perhaps we can speculate the fathers were either not believers or maybe they passed away at an early age, but the, the spiritual faith was transmitted down by the grandmother and the mother. Timothy turned out very well following the spiritual legacy of those who had gone before. And so that gives us hope uh, for even single mothers or mothers whose husbands are not believers. Timothy really turned out well as a good example of a spiritual leader in the church. Now, I need to be careful to point out that Timothy was not automatically a believer just because his grandmother was a believer and his mother was a believer. Uh, his mother and grandmother taught their children God's word, and they taught it by example and by instruction, but Timothy had to embrace that faith as his own. He had to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ and put his faith in God. And so every parent leaves a legacy for their children, either positive or negative. And today we want to speak of leaving a positive spiritual legacy for our children rather than a negative one. Deuteronomy 5, this is in the, actually in the Ten Commandments, says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands or to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. And so first of all, here we see, we see a negative legacy of sin and iniquity being passed down to the third and fourth generations of those who hate God. Parents who hate God want nothing to do with him. They tend to pass that legacy down to their children. The spiritual legacy of those who love God, of those who obey his commands, then can be also passed down to the thousandth generation. Now, and so this whole concept we've been talking about in this message series of biblical parenting is, is not just important for the parents and the children. It's important for the children's children and succeeding generations. And so God wants us as believing parents to 
to build, to leave a spiritual legacy that will be passed on from to our children and then from our children to their children, on and on to future generations until Jesus returns. And so today we want to give an overview of how parents can build a spiritual legacy, pass the torch of faith to the next generation and future generations beyond. And so a great way to begin building a spiritual legacy is to dedicate your children to the Lord, which we saw this morning with Eric and Sarah and Rhoda. Let's look at 1 Samuel 1, verse 11. It says, And Hannah vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And so in this case, Hannah was childless and she made a vow to God. If God would give her a son, then he would, she would dedicate her to the Lord, dedicate him to the Lord. And she ended up dedicating her son Samuel that the Lord blessed her with to the Lord for his entire life. Now, in this case, Hannah actually gave Samuel to the priest Eli to be raised in the temple. And, and Eli helped raise Samuel to become a great prophet uh, for God. And of course, we have the books of First and Second Samuel in the Bible. It tells all about Samuel's exploits for God. Now, all children are really God's children. Uh, the children that God blesses us with are His children. And we, as parents, uh, have a responsibility to raise those children for God. Uh, God, in, in a sense, has loaned them to us for a period of time uh, that we might raise them for Him. They're really His children. And so we believe it's important for, for parents to dedicate their children to God at an early age. When you dedicate your children to God, it's, it's acknowledging that, that they are God's, not yours, and also realizing that God has a plan for each child's life that he's blessed you with, and you are committing yourself to helping them walk out that plan. And as you dedicate your children to the Lord, you pray for God's blessing on them as we did today. Luke 2.27 says, And Simeon came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, and then the long blessing that Simeon said there, we don't have time to look at. But in this entire passage, Mary and Joseph took their infant son, Jesus, and brought him to the temple to de dedicate him to God. And while he was there, uh, the prophet Simeon picked up Jesus and began to bless God and uh, indicate God's plan for Jesus' life. He prophesied how God would use Jesus to be a blessing in the future to both Jew and Gentile. And so as parents, we need God's blessing on our children. We need his protection on our children. We need his wisdom to help us to raise them for God. And so as parents, we also need to make a commitment, uh, as I just said, to raise the children in God's ways. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so when parents dedicate their children to the Lord, they're making a commitment to God to raise the child in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We're going to talk more about the instruction 
of the Lord in the next point. But instruction is raising our children by teaching them God's word. What does God's word say? What is the truth of God's word for their lives? And while no education system is, is perfect, we are committed as parents to doing our best to provide an education for our children that will teach them God's truth. No matter how, where they go to school or whatever, it's our responsibility as parents to make sure that our children learn God's word and learn God's truth. So we bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. Also, the discipline of the Lord is required. Wrong actions must be disciplined. A parent's duty is to teach the children how to walk in God's way, to help the children grow in maturity and character. And godly discipline is certainly part of that, and we've had uh, messages on that in this series. Um, just uh, a comment, the Assemblies of God, we're part of the Assemblies of God Fellowship, and we do not practice infant baptism. Uh, it's not mentioned in Scripture, in any part of Scripture at all. I mean, there's not even a hint of it. On the contrary, the Bible clearly teaches that water baptism is reserved for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And uh, an infant cannot have make that decision until they're of age to make those type of decisions. And so we practice child dedication rather than infant baptism. Now, a public dedication ceremony, as we've done, is not strictly commanded in Scripture. Uh, we do see it happening in the case of Samuel in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New Testament. So we have examples, and the whole concept of dedicating children is certainly taught by example, and by teaching. And that's why we do it. Uh, dedication is normally and preferably done with infants, done early in life. But if your children have not been dedicated to the Lord, you can dedicate your children at any age. And I would be happy to arrange for that. So if you'd like to schedule a Sunday to de dedicate your child or children to the Lord, if that has not been done before, uh, please check a box in your Connect card and We'll be in contact with you to schedule that. So in the dedication ceremony, you're committing yourself to teaching your children God's word. Deuteronomy 6.20 says, When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules the Lord our God has commanded you? <clears throat> and so when children ask questions, and if you're a parent, you know children ask questions. They ask lots of questions. When children ask questions, we as parents need to be prepared to answer those questions according to the truth of God's word. And in this verse, a son is asking his parents, what was the meaning of God's command? His parents have been teaching him all of God's commands. He said, what's the meaning of all these commands? Why had God given these commands? What was the purpose of those commands? And that's an important question. You know, parents instruct their children to do these things. The Bible says you need to do this and this and not do this and this. What, you know, why, why do we have these commands? And it, we understand both from the Old and New Testament that becomes apparent to anybody that no one can perfectly keep God's commands. And that's part of the point of it. It's simply impossible to keep every commandment of God perfectly. And that's why we need Jesus. That's why 
our children need Jesus to forgive our sins. Our sins are times when we haven't perfectly kept the commands of God. The Bible says all have sinned. There's not a single person except Jesus Christ who's perfectly kept every command of God. We have all sinned. We've all broken his commands. And so as we teach children God's word, the first and most important thing is we are to lead our children into salvation. Verse 21, we'll continue on from the verse where the son is asking the question, what is the meaning? It says, then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And so the father here is instructed to teach his children about how God delivered the children of Israel from slavery in Egypt. They were slaves there for 400 years, and God brought them out with mighty miracles through his own miraculous power. The children of Israel didn't come out of Egypt by fighting. Uh, they didn't come out by uh, delivering themselves. It was God who delivered them. And the deliverance of Israel from Egypt is a, is a type of our, in the Bible, a type of our deliverance from sin. It's a type of our salvation, of moving from the kingdom of darkness, represented by Egypt, into the kingdom of light, represented by the promised land that eventually the children of Israel came into. And so as we instruct our children about God's word, our primary objective is to lead them to salvation. Even as we teach them all the commands of God and the ways they are to live, our children aren't going to keep them perfectly any more than we could. And so they need God's forgiveness. They need uh, to repent of their sins, put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And then because of their salvation, you can trust your children to obey, instruct your children to obey God. Verse 24, it says, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are to this day. And so God gives us commands for our own good. A lot of people think God's commands are to stop us from having fun or are just arbitrary commands to make our life difficult. No, every command, every instruction in God's word is for our good. They're there to protect us. They're there to teach our children to fear God, to fear sinning against him, and rather to seek to obey him. In the New Testament, Jesus instructed his disciples to teach new disciples to obey everything he had commanded. And so we are to teach our children to obey God because as our children learn to obey God, they're going to be protected from harm. As our children learn to obey God, they're going to be guided on the path that God has charted out for their life, a path of maximum impact for God's kingdom. And so to build a spiritual legacy, children should be dedicated to the Lord, led into salvation, and then as your children grow in their own personal relationship with God, they are going to grow in their obedience both to you as a parent and to the Lord. Once your child has been saved, they need to be water baptized and spirit baptized. Both of these events are spiritual milestones that they'll be able to look back on for the rest of their lives. And so when you are confident of a child's relationship with Jesus, that they understand the basic concepts of how one is saved and they've followed through, they've repented of their sin, they've put their faith in Jesus Christ. And I really 
hesitate to put ages on this because uh, it's different for every child. But clearly a child of one or two uh, really w is not going to have this understanding. I was saved, I still remember it, uh, at the age of four, and it's probably younger than, than many. Uh, but I clearly understand, I knew what I was doing, um, and I remember all the parts of it to this day. But usually when your child, you understand, your child understands, they are saved, you, they can articulate it to you, often this, by the time that's really clear to both parent and child, often around the age of seven or eight. Uh, and once that's, they're at that age, encourage them to be water baptized. It's a step of obedience. Water baptism does not save you. It's an act of obedience for those who are already saved. So children need to be water baptized as well, and then encourage your children to pray to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's the third important thing that's mentioned by Peter on the day of Pentecost for each and every believer. So today we've take, spoken of four distinct spiritual experiences that should be part of every child's spiritual legacy. Uh, child dedication, salvation, water baptism, and spirit baptism. Now, there are other aspects of a spiritual legacy that you as a parent can provide, and they're going to be different for each and every parent. These first four really could be the same for, for all parents. <clears throat> We're to remind our children of, of God's power. Let's jump to Joshua chapter 3. It says, Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until the nation finished passing over the Jordan. <clears throat> now you say, what is, what is he talking about? Where is this coming from? But I will bring it in. This will all tie together, I assure you. The children, were the children of Israel were standing on the edge of the promised land. Uh, they'd come through the wilderness wandering of 40 years, and now they were prepared to enter the promised land, but they had to cross the river Jordan, which lay on the border of the promised land. Jordan was at this point at flood stage. They couldn't cross over. They had no boats. There was no bridge. But as the priests who were carrying the Ark of Covenant, as they stepped into the edge of the river, God did a miracle. The river parted. The flowing water was cut off. Dry ground emerged. And the entire nation of Israel uh, began to pass through this river on dry ground with the, with the waters piled up on both sides just as it had done at the Red Sea, but that's another story. And so Joshua then gave a command to establish a memorial for their children. Uh, chapter 4, verse 5, And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel. And so one man from each of the 12 tribes of Israel was to go into the dry ground in the middle of the Jordan River and carry out a stone. That would be 12 stones. And then when all the people had passed through the Jordan and the priests were the last to leave, and then once the priests passed through and set foot on the far bank of the Jordan in the promised land, the water of the Jordan River came back together and began flowing again. The 12 stones that had been taken from the middle of the Jordan were then set up as a monument or a memorial at a place called Gilgal in the Promised Land. And so in the future, 
the people were to tell the story of God's faithfulness. Continues in verse 6. Joshua says that this, these stones, may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, so that these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And so this stone monument was to be a memorial to help future generations remember God's miracle of power when he caused the river to part and the people to be able to cross on dry land. And so when the children ask, you know, what do these stones mean? Why are these stones piled up here? The parents were to tell them the story, the story of what happened in the past. And so the parents were to remind their children of God's power. And so as parents, we have a responsibility to establish memorials for our children of God's past power. It's not enough just to teach our children stories of God's miracles in the Bible. We need to do that. Uh, Don't get me wrong. We need to do that, but it's not enough. We need to tell them true stories of miracles in our day, in our lives, in our parents' lives. Because if all we speak about is miracles in the Bible, God will become a historic God to our children, a God who lived long ago, who has no influence or power in their lives today. Sometimes God has done miracles in children's lives as infants. And I won't tell the story today, but we have stories in our own family, at least one dramatic story of God rescuing our first child, Joel. And he doesn't remember that, but we tell our children what God has done, how God has saved them, how God has healed them, how God has rescued them. Uh, Perhaps even young children or have accidents and things they don't even remember, but we know how God saved their life or God preserved them from severe injury, miracles of God's working in their lives. How has God worked in your life as a parent over the years? You should have stories to tell your children of God's faithfulness in your life, how God has done miracles in your life, how God has guided you, uh, and how God has answered your prayers. Building that spiritual legacy. As parents, we need to be helping children to establish and develop godly habits. Things that they can establish early in their life and then look back on it. As my parents taught me how to walk with God. Habits such as daily time reading God's Word in prayer. Habits such as being part of worship at church. Being part of small group Bible studies, habits of tithing, habits of being a witness for Jesus, habits of serving, habits of discipling others. And each of these habits is as, as it were a memorial that my mom and dad taught me how to walk with God. And children need to know the meaning of it. Why are they doing these things? Not just, I do it because mom and dad said. No, I do it because I understand what God's Word says. And I understand how I want to obey God and walk with God all the days of my life. Remind your children of God's power. And so God wants each of us as parents to build a spiritual legacy that will last for generations. And so when each of us has passed on, and we all are going to pass on unless Jesus comes first, nobody's going to be interested in our earthly accomplishments. 
But what will be most important is what we've passed on to our children. When I was a boy, my parents put a plaque on my bedroom wall, and it read, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And that is certainly true. And so we can build a spiritual legacy for Christ by dedicating our children to the Lord at an early age, teaching them God's Word, leading to spiritual milestones of salvation, water baptism, spirit baptism, and then reminding our children of God's power, both in days of long ago, Bible times, and in our own day, in our own time, teaching godly habits that honor God, bless other people, and as we do, we're going to be building this spiritual legacy. And God is going to bless that through the thousandth generation until he returns. So to become a believer, the most important thing we teach our children is how to become a believer in Jesus Christ. Is, and even a child, four or five years old, can understand this, or many of them can, is to admit that they've sinned, they've done wrong things. And for a child, that's usually disobeying their parents. That's what it was for me. Uh, I remember crying. That mom and dad told me to do things, and sometimes I said no. And I knew that was wrong. And I was sorry for it. Believing that Jesus died to forgive those sins, died on the cross, take the punishment for my sin, so that I wouldn't have to go to hell, so that I could go to heaven, so that he could be my Savior in this life as well. And so committing our life, believing in Jesus, uh, that he's alive today, he rose from the dead, and committing our life to follow him as our Lord and Savior. So let's bow our heads right now. If you never committed your life to Jesus Christ, I'd encourage you to pray uh, with me. If you have in the past and you'd like to recommit your life to him, uh, I'd encourage you to pray as well. Just pray something like this. The Lord knows your heart. Say, Father, today I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things. I haven't been following you. I've been following my own plans in my life. Please forgive me. I, I believe that you died on the cross, that my sins might be forgiven. I believe you rose from the dead. And I commit my life to following you as my Lord and Savior. And for those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, today we thank you for your word that teaches us everything that we need to walk in your way and to please you. We ask that every parent and parent-to-be uh, would dedicate their children to the Lord. Even those whose parents, whose, even those parents whose children are gone from home, we pray that those parents would continue to dedicate those children to the Lord in their hearts and in their prayers. We pray, God, you would give parents wisdom to teach their children God's word. Help them to remind their children of God's power that's still working today in the world and in their lives. We pray, God, that spiritual legacies would be built in the families of this church that would extend until Jesus comes again for many, many generations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.